0: Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast, with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally, into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue.
1: Welcome to the Writer's Block Party podcast. I am one of your hosts representing the great unwashed, the ignorant authors who don't know what they're doing. I'm Prue Warren. and Thankfully, I'm here with a co-host who does know what she's doing.
2: Some of the time. This is (laughs) Meredith Bond. Uh, I am the experienced author in this duo. However, (laughs) today, you're it, Prue.
1: No, 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 no! Thank God we have a wonderful guest. We have Heather Roberts of L Hi. Woods Promotions, who actually is my promotions maven, my wise guru who I follow when it comes to promotions. Hello, Heather. Hi, Pru. Goodness. Welcome.
3: I, I like that. Uh, I like the introduction there. That was nice. <laughs> I'll take we, Maven any day of the week.
1: Okay, a Maven, a wise, a wise woman. Um, yeah. When you hear this podcast back, what you'll hear is Mary's husband, Arup, who has the most beautiful voice, who does our intro. That's a good intro. Oh my God, he's got such a good voice. Okay. Today we're talking about branding, and this is a subject that flummoxes me, and I want to ask you, Heather, I'm going to start off with my personal pet peeve about branding because okay. just lately i've been talking or been being presented with information from people who seem to think that the best way to create a book is to scout around and see what publishers are buying and then write exactly what they say which offends me as an author right okay. as a as an artist i want to write my story so sure. is it possible to create a brand that will sell books Without going, this week, it seems to be billionaires with surprise babies. How Absolutely. do you how do you establish a brand? Help us.
3: Oh, well, what you've described is two separate styles, I would say, of authors. One is an author who's writing to market. And that is a brand style. If your brand style, if that's what you want to do, that's usually an author who's looking for quick releases, um, who is going to be doing quick turnaround, who's literally on the pulse of the market and is like, what is selling today? What is going to be selling next month? Or can I possibly try to predict that? And then they're going to go and write that. Um, and they're going to be writing to market. And their goal there is obviously to get on the, the cusp of the wave and ride it and try to make as much money as possible with that style of book. The okay, problem-
1: wait, let me. I'm going to stop you right there because- okay. When the When the next wave comes, right? and they stop writing billionaires with surprise babies and start writing um, amnesia victims, yeah, do they have to change their name? I mean, don't yes, I was
3: don't about
2: have- to ask something similar because when you create a brand, you're creating an identity and when Correct. somebody sees Prue Warren, they know exactly what kind of book they're going to get. And so if you're writing a wave, if you're writing to market, You're not going to get that.
3: No, you're not going to get that. And that's, yeah, the the problem with the market writer is that the books grow stale. So you have to continually release. You have to keep pushing and keep writing to market. Uh, Because if you don't, your books that you wrote two years ago are likely not going to land with readers of today. And that's the main problem with writing to market. It has a very nice wave, but then you the wave is ebbed and you're done. and that book is basically done. I've had that problem with a couple of clients who tried to jump on a you know write to market train, and now we have some lumberjacks and some, you know, really. Uh, there was a very popular um, porn star as the hero uh, wave a few years ago. And, you know, those books just don't sell the same way um, that they they do, you know, now. A that very short. It's a very short fact, right? Um, and then there's also, there's obviously the author who doesn't write to market. The author who's writing, um, you know, just what they want and their passion. And this is... This is them, and this is what they're putting forth. And that branding, you know, you have a lot more control over it. And you're really trying to search for readers who are going to resonate with you uh, as the author specifically. And that doesn't mean that you, you know, you have a voice. And your writing style and your voice is what is helping to build your brand. Um, Now, obviously, there are pieces of your brand, like a logo and how you present yourself. And just like any other brand for any other product in the history of ever, um, you need to basically package that and make sure that the package that you're putting forth not only represents what the content is, but also you, know, you as an author and make sure that it's consistent across the board. The authors I think that have the most success with their branding are those that are consistent and those that have stayed consistent throughout their career. And they're continually building because the readers that they brought in two years ago, I'm just you know throwing it out as an example, are still going to be reading their content today because it's what they wanted. It's it's their style of reading. They love your voice um, specifically. I think that for if we're talking about authors who are successful at this, Colleen Hoover is very good um, with her brand and, her, and with her success. And she doesn't write the same book every time. She also doesn't write to market. Uh, her books are very different. And they're but they all have her voice in them. And, and that is the key. And uh sorry, I'm chuckling because Pru's cat decided to <laughs> join the podcast, which I love. Um, but yeah, so it's it's very different. Now you can also write to market while staying within your voice if it's something that you already are doing, right? If it's within your realm, then certainly go for it if that's what you're feeling, but just be careful about going so off brand that, you know, you're going to either not resonate with your current readers, um, or you're going to find that you have a book that just doesn't sell in, you know, it's just going to be a dead book to you. And it, it's, so it's a choice. It's a
1: choice. As you're writing philosophy, are you going to write to market or are you going to write consistently and hope that the market occasionally catches up with you?
2: Right. It's also very interesting because you can stay within your voice and write to market. You can. Um, I did that with my Ladies Wagering West Society. I have always written Regency romance, mm-hmm. but with that series, I specifically chose tropes popular write popular Regency tropes, and each book was a different trope, mm-hmm. and they sold really well. Yeah, because of that. And you and- market that way. Yeah, kind of.
3: Yeah. Right. I mean, as, so much I as, it's I just, <laughs> as much as I market. It's a matter of staying within your brand. Does it fit your brand? Is it going to be something that's authentic to you? If the answer is yes, then absolutely go for it, right? Uh, be, tropes sell 100%. Um, tropes absolutely sell. People love them. I love them personally. I have my own favorites. I have my own favorite subtropes of you know specific true <laughs> like I you know single lines in a book that will hook me and make me want to uh, buy a lot of people are like that and so it's absolutely okay as a writer to capitalize on that right? Um, but you just have to make sure you're doing it authentically to yourself. I think the biggest thing about branding is making sure that there's some thought into it. Um, that that's really what it's about. If you're not being haphazard about it, uh, if you're being somewhat thoughtful, and you're trying to be strategic about it, uh, you can be successful. Uh, some people do haphazardly, uh, write and release books, uh, and can still find success. There's always one of those. Uh, but it's not a consistent thing. That's not something that usually happens. Um, sometimes there's luck, there's timing, there's a lot of things that you also can't predict when you're releasing a book. Um, uh, The difference, I think, between indie, you know, and obviously published authors is publishers, they're picking up these books way in advance, Mm -hmm. uh, and they're deciding what's going to be released on a schedule, you know, a year in advance of when it's actually going to be released. Whereas an indie author, you have a lot more flexibility to be able to jump on a train uh, that is currently happening. (laughs) And if it's within your voice, and you can easily throw out some books that, I say easily, like, you know, writing. Yeah, yeah, but that's, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, (laughs) But it's it's not that arduous process that a traditional publisher usually has. And so that's why they're trying to create the trends. They're trying to think about what is going to resonate with readers a year from now or so. And um, there was a period of time where I kept hearing, oh, vampires are going to be coming back. Vampires are going to be coming back. And I'm like, when? When are they coming back? And, you know, now they're sort of back. I'd say in the past year or so, like fantasy and the, the high-level fantasy with complex layered storylines and all of that have really come back. Um, and maybe the past couple of years, honestly. Uh, but, you know, we, we don't know what's going to go next.
1: So the publishers are attempting to drive the train and the indie authors are attempting to hop on like a hobo and ride in <laughs> cars for a while.
3: I like it. Some,
2: I of, like them. The some of them.
1: Some of them. I'm a wild thing. I can't be contained.
3: <laughs> well, exactly. And then some people cannot be contained and they're just like, I'm going to create my own train and uh, we're going to, we're going to just drive it along. I'm not very good with continuing the analogy, but you know <laughs> what
1: I mean. <laughs> hey, when you say you have to be thoughtful in creating your brand and you have to and you have to make a little bit of a plan. Let's talk about the questions I might ask myself when deciding what my brand was going to look
3: like. Yes. You need to think about what are the expectations that a reader will have and either be met or not met when they are reading your book. So when they see whatever it is that you put out there, what are they going to expect from that? So if we're using the Regency Romance uh, as an example versus the rom-com, you know, as an example, those covers look totally different. Uh, If you put a Regency Romance cover on top of one of your books, Prue, it changes the entire vibe. Right. Um, So when you're being thoughtful, you have to look at where are you trying to fit in and what are the reader's expectations within that world? So if a reader would expect to see certain things on a Regency romance cover, I would suggest you do that um, so that they know what it is when they're getting it. The biggest problem uh, that I think that some people have uh, with reviews being bad reviews um, or, you know, obviously if all the content is fine and what have you, it's that the reader's expectation of the book was not met. Um, or they didn't pick it up because they didn't think it would fit their expectation of what they were hoping to read. So if you're looking for rom-com readers, I would highly recommend going and checking out the top selling rom-com books right now and saying, what are these books have in common? Um, Now you don't have to mimic exactly like, you know, please don't uh, steal someone's cover, but take the notes of that and decide how does that fit into your brand? How can you make that a piece of what you're doing? And then really the same thing with your persona and your overall branding. Uh, You want to look at, you know, what do you want people to think when they look at you? Uh, I try to, sometimes I think that people forget that their brand themselves is just like any other business because it's a very, this is a very personal business as opposed to, you know, Nike. That's a very, right. um, You know, impersonal business to to us, anyway. I'm um, sure it's personal to someone.
1: <laughs> but
3: when they're creating their brand, they have a lot of products underneath of them, right? And they need to make sure that that one brand, that one tagline, is applicable to all of their underlying products. And they do that well in a variety of different ways. Um, and you have to think about it in the same way. What am I creating as a parent brand for all of my sub products that are going to be coming out in the future, these books? And in the same way, um, you know, some people try or think about doing a different genre. Maybe they've created a brand like you have crew with uh, rom coms and all of that. And now suddenly you want to write paranormal. Well, I'm going to suggest that because of the way in which you set up your brand, maybe we write under a different pen name. It doesn't have to be a secret. It doesn't have to be like, you know, behind closed doors. Like no one knows. You certainly can shout it from the rooftops, but you need to create that expectation for the reader when they're looking at their your book on a platform page that this is different than your other stuff. This is not the norm, right? It might have some rom-com elements, but they need to know that it's a different thing. Um,
2: that makes
1: sense. So, now, yeah. M- Meredith does... Regency, and fantasy.
2: Right. But I was just thinking about that.
1: I know, but I think your voice is tremendously consistent throughout those. You have that same Meredith Bond touch in both books. If I was, if I didn't know you, I don't think I would be disappointed by your fantasy having read your, because there's sort of a, there's sort of a historic air to your, to your fantasy.
2: Well, one of my fantasy series is Regency <laughs> and fantasy. Right. But I, and I was thinking just now when you were talking that I wonder what would happen if I were to republish those books under a different pen name.
1: Oh my God, what an experiment. Wow. Right? It would be if a fun I
2: were, I mean, I already have a fantasy pen name that I've been sort of toying with for years. <laughs> Proved, one like, jumping for joy <laughs> I
1: was by that premise <laughs> it's like a costume party oh, who will you be today <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> um
2: but I could just I could probably even take the same covers and just slap a different name on them and mm-hmm. see how they do you can and see <laughs> and and do a, a publicity there you go thing.
1: Yeah.
2: And you know, publicize them brand new author Marilyn Wolf is here and here's her new historical fantasy series.
3: And nice. you could even do it as Meredith Bond writing as and you know, with the new yes. pen name, because it doesn't need to be hidden. It just needs to be somewhat different. Um, and I'd be interested to see what those results would be. Mm. Um, you know, that it's, it's pretty fascinating. I've, I have some clients who write, you know, super like hockey romance all the time. And then they decided to write um, a more contemporary romance. And we've just found that their hockey core readers are not interested in regular contemporary romance, what whatever <laughs> genre, tropes. We've tried a few. They, they're not interested. They want hockey, and that is all they want. Um, but okay. that's because you know this author built a brand of hockey romance and has collected those authors over time. Now we have been collecting, obviously, contemporary romance authors to help with the other um, you know series and things like that. But you know, it's almost like starting a new pen name anyway, at that point, uh, because there's not a lot of crossover with your core readers. So I think when you're thinking about things like this, what do I create a new pen name? Do I not? Do I, how do I present it? You need to look at, okay, are my core readers going to resonate to this? Are are they even going to be interested? You're, you're obviously going to get some because there's a loyalty piece there. Some people will read whatever you write, which is amazing. We love those readers. We want more of them. <laughs> Um, but you, you know, if you don't think or you have proven data that shows that these core readers of yours who buy all of your other books are not buying this type of book for you, then maybe it does make sense to to make it into a new pen name and really start gathering up those people who are going to be loyal to that name um, and who love that particular type of story. Yeah, Mary,
2: Regency would, romance writer, readers don't necessarily like magic in their Regency romance, mm-hmm. but there might be fantasy readers who like magic stories that don't mind a Regency setting.
1: Perfect. Yes. Would you say that you sell more fairy tales, more fantasy, or more Regency? Oh, Some many.
2: Would. I hardly sell the fantasies at all. They hardly sell.
1: What was the name? Margaret Wolf,
2: Marilyn,
3: Marilyn. I like it.
2: Marilyn, E on the end,
1: M- Wolf or just Wolf? M- just Wolf. Just Wolf. Just. I Wolf. think. Okay. Oh, please do this because this would be so fascinating. It would be very interesting. It would and
2: be. Yeah, oh, I Marilyn.
3: Marilyn. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we uh, have no,
2: no, name. no, it eh, in the middle. So M E R L Y N, Merlin.
1: Oh, okay. <gasps> like oh. Merlin. Like Merlin. For a fantasy author. Right. Merlin
2: Wolf. I like it. (laughs)
3: Good. This could work. I, I find that very interesting if you could, you know, the stats of that and what that would do. And I think the biggest thing here is to think if you're somebody who's listening and you're like, I don't know if this is right for me or whatever, just know like you can make decisions (laughs) like this at any point when you're an indie author. It's amazing, right? You can make these style of decisions and just make it thoughtful, right? You want to make sure that if you're doing something like this, where you're going to put a new pen name on, on new covers of books that are already out, do it in a way that makes sense. So have some promo towards it. Um, right. Make sure that you're... Uh- Maybe put the first book on sale if there's a series and run some promo towards that when you're doing this. Put some eyes on it. So towards the type of reader that you're looking for, make sure that your back matter is all updated and that you're pointing to the right books. And if you've created a new list for this new name, that you want to make sure that you have the right list in the back and with additional content and all of that to add to the reader experience. Um, You know, all of those things, which it's not just like changing a name at, the, at that point, right? There's a lot of work involved uh, that I think people, the average reader doesn't necessarily know, uh, because once you release a new book, you then have to go update the back matter for all the other ones, which is not a really fun experience. Um,
2: <laughs> Tell me about it. I've got 30 books and I have to update the back matter of every single friggin' one, 30 books over six retailers.
3: It's awful.
1: I'm just coming to, I'm just coming to that with doing dash and then Ellen and then Farrah. I'm just under my, my, my Bible for how to do it is 11 pages long for three yeah, books. I don't know how you're going to do it for 30 books. But I love the idea, Mary, of changing, of changing your name because you've already got a catalog of fantasy books. You don't even have to start at the beginning again. This no. is ready made. Yeah. Three yeah. weeks of hell, girl, and you're done. <laughs> three <laughs> weeks of hell. That's so correct. That's so accurate.
2: Actually, it would be uh, three weeks of hell and a boatload of money because there's no way that I would trust myself to do the advertising of that because it would be launching an entirely new career.
1: Right. Right. So look, Heather's like, well, yes, I know someone. could have. That. <laughs> <laughs> <Here. Yeah. Heather. laughs> At Elle Woods promotions. <laughs>
3: oh, oh, my goodness. Yes, certainly we could help you with that. But that's not the point of this. Um, when you're thinking, but these are all good things to think about when you're thinking about branding. I think a lot of people uh, sometimes are like, oh, a logo branding I'm done and it's like, there's a lot more that goes into it obviously a logo is nice a logo is helpful you can then eventually put that on some merchandise maybe and start selling that and some other swag pieces and, and connect a tag it. name yes
1: Drew, do you have a tag a tag name uh, uh, a tagline, tagline. Uh, it's romantic comedy for the discerning procrastinator <laughs> what do you think? I like it. Good, I like tag it
3: fits her, does it not? It fits it her. It really does.
2: <laughs> See, my tagline already fits with my um, fantasy and Regency romance because my tagline is simply magical romance.
1: Oh, I love. Uh, but wait a minute. If you break off into a second name, which of your names gets that tagline? Well, then I would have to give it
2: to Merlin Wolf.
3: Feel like you have because
2: to. It, magic. it's magic,
3: mm-hmm. but
2: then I would need to think of a new one for my regency.
3: <laughs> Simply regency romance, <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, it'd <laughs> probably be something like get lost on the journey or something like that,
1: yeah, or just get lost, get lost, just get lost, <laughs>
2: <laughs> take a journey, take a journey,
1: journey yeah. Okay, Heather, I have another mm-hmm. question for you, and maybe you can't answer. I have been looking at the top 10 rom-coms on Amazon and I have been re- I've read I'm, I'm I'm going through quite deliberately. I've read 5 of them now. Good for you. And, Good. Well, 4 of them are not rom-coms and it's pissing me off, okay? <laughs> let's just get to the point here. It makes me angry, right? And 3 of them I kind of was, well, they're not well written. I'm not going to tell you what date it was that I that I started reading because I don't want to slam anybody's baby. That's an ugly baby you got there, lady. Um, <laughs> but there are some, quite a few of them are obviously indie, not well written. So, how did number one get to number one? It's not a particularly good book. It's not, definitely not a rom com. It has to be, it's got to be marketing and promotions. It's got to be.
3: some. Sometimes, yes. Um, so you can pretty much do anything if you have enough money. I mean, that's just like a life rule, right? And it's the same in the publishing industry. Uh, now, you might not see a profit on that money uh, at the beginning, especially, but I've seen some pen names pop up from people who are, I know the pen names are well-sourced, I'll put it that way, Um, (laughs) that they're not their main pen name, right? Like that they've started something new and that it's a well-sourced pen name and that they have suddenly become, you know, declared themselves the number one bestseller across, you know, the nation. And they make that so by putting a ton of money into that. So, you know, with enough money, anything is possible. However, there's also something to be said for brand power, And uh, there is, it depends, I don't, without knowing the author that, or authors who've written these books or the titles, um, you know, sometimes there are authors who've, you know, been writing since 2012 or 2011, maybe they were one of the first OG indie authors. And (laughs) you have to remember back then, there were not that many indie authors, uh, especially in the romance industry. Yeah, there were not that many. And so comparatively, obviously, today, there's plenty, but not not as many as today. Um, and so a lot of these authors had the ability to gain a really, really nice newsletter list, uh, direct mailing list, uh, really connect with some readers on a you know, a personal level with engagement was all brand new, you know, back then. And that has really helped set them up, if they've continued to write uh, for success today, regardless of the book that is released um, today, like there are some authors where I swear, they could, you know, I, I don't I don't want to be like crass about this, but like they you know, could write down their grocery list, right? And publish it. People would buy it and give five star reviews and say it's freaking amazing. When <laughs> like an objective reader without knowing who wrote it would read it and be like, this is fine, you know? But it's not what not to the level, but they have this loyalty, right? And they will buy literally anything that this author produces. So there's some of that. That's, I like, I call that brand power, right? Because it's, that's the brand power that you have behind the name. When you come to the rom-com part, (laughs) where they're not actually rom-coms. Right. That's, that's a lot. That happens a lot. Um, Sometimes readers will consistently tell their author, tell authors over the years that their books are funny um, or that they laughed so really hard, or they found it funny, or what have you. And authors will then just decide that that means that their book is a rom-com. Um, and will then put it in rom-com. Or if there's like a lighthearted feel to it, sometimes they'll put it into rom-com. Um, and, or if they
2: think that rom-com is a smaller market, and they want yes. to to have a higher number on you know uh, ranking on their book than it would in just contemporary romance which is enormous Mm -hmm. then maybe they'll call it a rom-com in order to rank
1: higher right
3: it happens a lot with sports romance as well so if you go into like the sports romance categories you'll be like that's not a sports romance. That's not a sports romance. And it's like they attended a sports game like at one point in the book. And so therefore somehow they thought it qualified as a sports romance or the, you know, the hero is a sports player maybe, but they don't actually talk about sports at all in the book. Technically, I guess you you can call it a sports romance, right? But it, the reader it, it, you start running a line, then, right? Because you, if you don't have the brand power behind you, and you don't have the um, money power behind you, and you're putting yourself into these categories, a, and a reader who doesn't know who you are and doesn't have the loyalty to you, or they might read this and say, "Well, that's not what that's not what I thought it was going to be." Okay, so, so it's, it's possible.
1: It's <clears throat> possible that karma will get these authors.
3: I mean. You would, you would like to think so, but I've seen enough in this industry that I don't think that's true. Um,
2: <laughs> what about it. if Amazon labels them as such? Right. Because um, my books are sweet. They don't have any explicit sex on the page. And Amazon labeled them inspirational romance. Oh, my They're God. Not.
3: Yes. Oh, my gosh. They, they,
2: did, it? Them, they yeah. did it? They did it. I would never label my books inspirational romance. There is no Christianity. There is no religion in any of my books. They did that.
3: And if you don't catch it, which you may not catch it at first, because who goes on to every book that they've ever written and checks the categories every day? I mean, and I'm not.
2: And because they're labeled as inspirational romance, they have a higher ranking because that's a smaller subgenre. And so I've kind of left it alone because sure okay they're clean so people who are looking for maybe people who are looking for clean romance will go to inspirational they may not necessarily be looking for that religious message they're just looking for a clean romance
1: right Wow. so you left
3: them yeah and i mean there's nothing wrong with that there's a lot of little itty bitty categories on not that inspirational romance is that small i mean it's a smaller one but there's some random small categories that I makes no sense to me. Um, (laughs) and a lot of people on Amazon. Um, there's one that's like, I don't, Oh gosh, I can't even remember. It was the other day I came across it and I was just like, what is that? Like just objectively, I understand the book is in that category, fine, whatever, but like objectively, what does that even mean? Like what (laughs) that's what would I expect that book to be about if it's in that category? And sometimes I can't come up with an answer because they just pick random stuff sometimes. Um, but there's a lot of one like for romance, for example, if you have some adventure in your book, there's you know a women adventure fiction, um, you know subcategory that you might rank better in that. Uh, so <laughs> categories are certainly important.
1: My editor told me she thought I should be romantic adventure, not romantic comedy.
3: Well, it's something to consider. It is a smaller category. And there are readers that, you know, are looking for that in particular. Um, and so with categories and keywords, you're thinking not only, okay, what is my book about, but you're also thinking about search terms that people are going to use to find a book on right. Amazon. So, you know, if... Rom-com going to come up a lot more often right. than romantic. But and that's uh, and that's likely why those books that you've been reading are in rom com. <laughs>
1: probably right. That's right. Okay, let me ask you um, a hypothetical. Let's say you had someone who was well resourced who sure. wanted to get to number one on the rom com list. Mm-hmm. How much and how would you do it?
3: Ooh, I mean that's a complex question. There, Brooke. I know.
1: I know. <laughs> but... <laughs> but would you do it all through? facebook and google ads amazon ads would you so well okay so facebook has the fastest
3: roi so if you're going to be running ads you're going to until That's there's a return another,
2: on investment
3: return, yes return on investment so if you're going to be looking for a quick push up in the ranks and you have some money to put behind it and you know you have somebody who knows what they're doing with ads then certainly uh put some money towards facebook ads you know i hate facebook with passion of a thousand fiery suns but until there's something better that comes along we are forced <laughs> to use them same Ooh. thing with amazon um so i would put a decent amount of your budget there you then have also some bookbub ads that you could run um now you can also look at bookbub uh new release features cuz i'm assuming that this is going to be a full priced new release so you want to look at Uh, see if you can apply for one of those if possible. Then also you wanna book the other BookBub related items like the pre-order to your followers and then make sure that the new release alerts going out to your followers on release day. Um, You should, or if you can, Uh, Depending upon your cover, think about running some Amazon ads because Amazon likes it when you spend money with them. Uh, The problem with Amazon ads is that they are hard sometimes to get them to spend your money, which is so counterintuitive, but uh, with Amazon ads... But, and also with Amazon ads, it is hard sometimes to find the right targets that are going to make your ads successful over there. However, if you can get over those hurdles and you actually get an ad that works over there, which is not impossible or insurmountable, um, then certainly having something running over there will be helpful to your title on Amazon specifically. Uh, So, you know, you definitely want to make sure you have ads set up. You want to be looking at other promo sites, um, newsletter sites that are out there, trying to get your book in the as many places as possible prior to or for your release week uh, because you really want release week sales. You can run some pre-order ads as well. Pre-order ads certainly do, you know, I know some people are very much against them, but uh, so I personally have found some success with them in the past uh, depending upon the title and the type of book. And the, you know, Prue, as you said, we you've gotten some pre-orders by advertising to book one in the series. That is a great way of doing it because you're getting sales uh, for your book one and some conversion sales to the pre-order of book two. Now, if you ran ads directly, which we will be doing uh, to book two for the pre-order, uh, you'll find that you may not get as many uh, pre-orders as you will on release week when the book is actually live, because some people just don't pre-order. We were talking about that a little bit before Uh the podcast started. You get readers who pre-order and some who don't. Um, Now, if you have pre-orders available and you're building your list, uh, that's great. You want to train your readers from the beginning that pre-orders are always going to be available and really encourage them to do so, so that you can get your pre-order numbers up and continue to gain readers that way. Um, but that's, that was a little tangential thing, uh, from the original main question. Um, but you want to, sorry, paid reviews, paid reviews. It depends where you're getting your paid review from. If you're talking about like Kirkus or Publishers Weekly, um, those types of, uh, editorial style reviews, I don't, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, they can help in Are they creating, worth it? I, what, what's your goal? <laughs> are you looking for the money back from that review? Yeah. I don't, th- I don't think you're going to get that money back from your review. Uh, I think what you're doing is setting up your brand to look a little bit more like a traditional publisher and you're creating that sort of expectation uh, for the reader. Who's looking at your product page with your, you know, publishers weekly or Kirkus review. And that's what they're used to seeing. So you're, if you're looking for that traditional pub, you know, reader, uh, then certainly it might be worth it to you if you're going to be doing that. Uh, from an actual sales perspective, you know, you don't need it. You certainly don't need it. Um, before
1: I published before I published Sin, Heather, mm-hmm. you got me a whole bunch of reviews. By the yes. time Sin went live, you'd gotten all kinds of people to post reviews about it. Then you'd given them advanced reader copies. How'd you do yes. that? I asked them. Um, (laughs) but that's the thing,
3: uh, you have to either go to, those aren't technically paid reviews. You're paying me to go out and find the people to read the book, um, or somebody like me to go out and, and do that. Um, and they're reading the book for an honest review. That's, you know, that that's very successful. That's what you should be doing. If you don't want to pay somebody, then you have to do the legwork yourself, Go to the internet and find the people um, who you think would be most interested in your book. Uh, you know, you're not going to be necessarily wanting to ask one of Mary's readers uh, to read your light rom-com. Uh, they, that, that might not be the right place for you to go and see, you know, search for. So what I always suggest authors to do um, and to go on a book or books that they like, go to Goodreads, check them out, see if these people have public email addresses, if you can find out how to contact them for people who've already written reviews on books that are similar to the style in which you're writing. Um, and then approach them and ask them if they want a review copy. Uh, just don't be you know spammy about it. That's all. Uh, people are people. People love free books. Um, and a lot of reviewers love to read new authors. And so it's a matter of trying to get your book in their hands and approaching them with a pitch of some
1: kind. Now, when, I, when you persuade someone to read my book and review it, is, does Amazon allow them to post a review before the book goes live or on the day, or do they have to be a verified purchaser from Amazon? No.
3: So Amazon theoretically, sometimes, occasionally lets people post books or post reviews on books that are uh, not yet live. Ah, uh, ebooks. I mean, if you have your paperback live and linked to your ebook, then a reader can go on and put a review on the paperback version, which will then pop on the ebook version when the person goes to the product page. This is Welcome before the ebook is live. Um, sure, sure, it, it's fine. I don't, you know, Amazon holds reviews too uh, for sometimes three days or five days. I don't know. They, they have their own moments. Um, sometimes they put reviews right through, uh, for people who are submitting their reviews to a title that I'm saying, like if the book was live, like right now, um, I have a lot of people who email me all the time that I've submitted my review to Amazon. I'm just waiting for the link and that can take sometimes up to a week. It, it just, it's very random. Uh, they're, does not seem to be any sort of rhyme or reason as to why. Um, Cause sometimes they'll submit a review and it goes right through. So it's just a matter of, you know, figuring out what is your goal there? You know, and they, there used to be a number that was like, oh, well, if you get 50 reviews on release day on your book, that that does something for you in the rankings. And it helps with Amazon algorithms because it shows that it's a more popular book. So they'll put, you know, They'll give their own little algorithm love to it. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and certainly, I think that does help. But I've also had books on release day with three reviews hit the the top one hundred. Um, so it just you know depends on how the buzz for the book that you've built as well um, for people that are interested. But Amazon. yes, Amazon. I know. Amazon, Jeffrey Bezos. I mean, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> Seriously. I could rail about Amazon all day. I love them and I hate them. It is, it is a relationship. Um, but yeah, when you're talking about early reviewers, you really want to find those reviewers who like your genre, whatever it is. And that those are the people you want to approach. And there's a couple different kinds of reviewers. There's the person who just reviews books. That they put their reviews on retailers and Goodreads, probably maybe BookBub, you know, just retailer platforms. And then you'll have the reviewer who has an actual book platform that they promote books on, review books on, whether it be a social media, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, their own blog, what have you. Um, you'll have that level of reviewer as well, and then you will have the editorial reviewer like that. The Kirkus and Publishers Weekly, and all of that. Um, so, I would say if somebody's coming to you and saying, I would like to, you know, I would like for you to pay for me to read this book and review it, one, you can't, they can't post that review on Amazon because it's against Amazon's terms of service to be paid for a review. You can use the resulting review in the editorial section on your Amazon page or in the description uh-huh. section if you so wish. Um, however, if they are not of a stature that it makes a difference for you, AKA they have no followers. If they, if they're, if they have no platform, why would you pay them to read your book? Um, The only reason that you're paying for one of the other ones is because they have a name behind them. They have that platform when someone sees that a starred review from, you know, Publishers Weekly, that means something. That's why that's paid. And so, you know, Jane, whatever is coming to you and it's like, pay hey, me to read your book. Well, wh- what's in it for me? I mean, that's we- with any decision, you know, what's in it for me?
2: Excellent. Okay. So here's we- a different question. Okay. If you are a brand new author, just getting started, Prue, um, this is you last year, right? So right. where do you begin with the branding? Where do you start?
3: Where did we start crew? Um <laughs> I think I talked well, to you. Well, go ahead. You can answer.
1: Well, okay. Here's what I, here's, here's what I think the answer is. I think you have to start with your website uh-huh. and your newsletter, even if you only have mom and dad on your newsletter list, you still have to set up your newsletter so that you create a brand that's consistent. And then it's worth it then to do promotions for your book. What do you think?
3: That's a very good place to start. Uh, I think when we first got together, Prue, uh, I I probably railed a lot longer on newsletters than I probably needed to. But Uh I will, I will just throw this into the, the universe. Um, newsletters are so important. I've seen a couple TikToks of brand new authors being like, I don't want to do it, or I'm not going to do a newsletter. And I'm like, do you not want to sell books? Like, I don't understand. Like, if you don't want to, because TikTok can take away your account any day. Facebook could remove your account any single day. Uh, Instagram, just poof, you're gone. I mean, you could just be banned or deleted or what have you, and all of those followers go with it. So, how are you going to communicate with your readers if none of those social media aspects are available to you any longer? The only way is through their emails with direct contact with your your newsletter. That is why newsletters are so desperately important. You cannot rely on these other avenues of Promotion that you do not control. Um, and so that's why I, I'm a big newsletter proponent. Um. But, yeah, so starting setting up all of your socials, setting up your website, setting up your newsletter, that is where I would suggest people start. because as you're doing those things, you'll realize if things don't look consistent across the board. If you're using different graphics for everything, for your you know profile or your website or whatever, if it doesn't have the same sort of color feel or the same you know consistency feel to it. it it's pretty recognizable at that point. Um, so those are the things you want to nail down, making sure that you have something that, that looks like you, that you're happy with. Um, and then you, you carry that feel over to the other places, uh, for sure. So I would say, start there, start on your social media, start on your newsletter, um, make sure, get a website up, even if it's just a landing page to sign up for your newsletter, have something in existence. Um, there's a couple different kinds of, you know, links, so how you'll populate on Google. So if you're if somebody is typing in Google, which I don't know if they really do that all that much, but I don't know, Um, you know, a type of book or an author or something like that. um, You know, if you have a lot of these uh, links that are searchable content, which is, you know, people with actual websites posting about your book and what have you, those things will pop up in Google search results. Your Facebook posts or your TikTok uh, are not necessarily going to pop up in search results on Google. Um, It's the other links. It's the links to other websites and things like that. So think about that as well from a content perspective as to how you want to uh, build up your brand and where you want to put your focus. Now, I don't want to say that social media is not relevant uh, because obviously it is. It's super relevant. Um, You just got to make sure that you understand the platform in which you're putting your content on. Um, If, you know, TikTok, for example, is super great right now for organic uh, follows and organic viral videos and really has raised the backlist for some amazing authors. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled for them who have found a book that they... Released three years ago, is suddenly has a viral TikTok, and they're now in like you know the top 100 on Amazon. Like that's so cool, right? Like it's really cool that that can happen. Um, but at the same time, only people on TikTok are seeing that too. So you have to think about you've got to do a, a multitude of things to get your book visible uh, if you want to contain you know to to keep being visible to keep being relevant. I don't know if that was helpful.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Oh yeah. We've gone so far over our half hour plan. Oh, we have. But I had too many questions. I had too many questions for you, Heather. Oh, well, that's okay.
3: Um, I'm always happy to talk about this sort of stuff because it's so complex and literally every situation is different. And, you know, if we're taking something away from this, I think that that is what I would like my takeaway to be is that you're not, everything is going to work for every single author. You have these general tools and you have to figure out how to use these tools to make your brand and to build your brand. Um, so don't, you know, be like, oh, well, that guy's doing that. So I have to do that. You don't. you may want to do that. Maybe it would be beneficial for you, but don't feel obligated like you have to do something because it may not work for your brand.
1: If someone wanted to get in touch with you, Heather, sure. how would they email you? I'll put it in the
3: show notes too. Um, you can email me directly at heather at lwoodspr.com. Uh, or that for us. us. But sure. E-L-L-E or L? It's, it's E-L-L-E-W-O-O-D-S-P-R.com. And that is the same as our website. And you can yep. go and check us out there. And
1: how are you not being sued by
3: It is just a name and it is not in any way related to uh, legally blonde. And it's simply, honestly, uh, my, my goat's name is now Eleanor um, and L and it, the name has a lot of, uh, sig- you know, personal significance, just so <laughs> happens to also share a name uh, with, with that character
1: name. All right. Well, good for you. Uh, I, I think that'll be an excellent defense in copyright court. Okay. Elwoodspr.com. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, who can help anybody, believe me, I know, to promote a book and guide and be the person on the other end. When I'm not bothering Mary with questions, I'm bothering Heather with questions. So <laughs> you guys are my brain trust right here. We get Mindy Kalaskian in on this call and it's all my knowledge in three people.
3: Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I was happy to be here. Thank you. Thank I you really so- appreciate your guidance and your thoughtfulness, Heather.
2: Really. Such oh, a pleasure you. to talk to you.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great Friday. Thank you.
1: Um, Mary, you and I are going to talk about what makes a romantic comedy a romantic comedy next week.
2: Yes, which now that you have read all of these romantic comedies that you say are not rom com, I want rom-coms. to know what your definition <laughs> is. Write it down. Yes. down
1: I plan on not being so angry during that podcast. But right now I'm like, come on! That's not a rom-com. Did
3: you laugh in a sentence?
1: I you know what I've written, I have a chart that says how many oh times God. I sniggered, I laughed, I rolled my eyes. <laughs> the book like there's nothing happened. Flat line, I could have been dead reading it. Oh. <laughs> It'll be a better, I'll be nicer. I'll be nicer on the podcast, I promise. I mean, All right. Let us.
3: Authenticity is
1: great. That's <laughs> <laughs> all I got. Let <laughs> us go forth and write beautiful things.
2: Absolutely.
1: Thank you, Heather, and
2: thank you, Mary. Thank you, Prue.
1: Thanks, Bye.
0: That's it for the Writer's Block Party this week. We don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at theWritersblockpartypodcast.com. One word. That's where you can find our archive of past podcasts and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week.